I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Happy Pride, everyone. As the excitement for the weekend builds, folks all around town are checking out the long roster of events across town. One featured event is, of course, Nashville's Pride Parade. And what's a parade without a marching band, right? My name is Jacob Campos. I work at the Nashville Symphony. I also was a band director for 12 years uh, in Franklin, Tennessee. And I'm just so excited for y'all to be here today um, as part of the Nashville and Harmony Pride Band. Whoop whoop, it's okay to be excited. recognize that song that's a marching band's rendition of born this way with the band director jacob campos who joins me now in studio jacob welcome to this is nashville thank you for having me really appreciate you being here this really truly sounds like a lot of fun and you know i understand it isn't the first rendition of the band but after the pandemic you guys are back and in, and, and in partnership with nashville and harmony tell me what was it like to get the band back together um, as, honestly, it's been a really rewarding experience. Um, when Wesley King, as part of Nashville and Harmony, came to me and said, hey, I know you guys existed before the pandemic. I, we have a whole established um, group of people at Nashville and Harmony. They've been around about 30 years as a nonprofit. And he said, you know, we're not exclusively choir. We can take on the band. Um, I got really excited about that. So seeing new faces, seeing some old faces and seeing people get really excited about it, we're larger than we were prior to the pandemic. So that's, that's a really good sign for the future. And uh, I just can't wait to see us tomorrow in the parade. How have band members reacted to getting back into the swing of things? I can tell like these are the these are the people that were like their go getter band director's favorites in high school. <laughs> okay. all, you know, so everybody's been really pumped. Everybody's come really prepared with the music. But, you know, some people haven't played their instrument in quite a while. So it was some of them were like, I was excited to have to like practice every day again. Mm. How many people you said the band is larger? This year, mm -hmm. how many how many folks are in the band? We're about forty five in the winds and percussion, and about ten in the color guard. Okay, what what are your plans for next year's band? So next year, I'd love to be over a hundred. I totally think we can do it. With now that we have a group of people, we can start committees and start getting the word out more, and you know, just really work on building that traction throughout the year. And now you were the director of high school marching bands in Franklin, and you won numerous state titles and awards. So you're used to having excellent players. You mentioned some people. It took them a while. They haven't played for a what minute. It, they're getting back to the swing of things with the practicing and playing. What's been the process like for choosing who plays in this band? Well, honestly, I didn't choose who plays. Anybody is welcome. I don't think that um, 
there should be a barrier to play in an ensemble like this. You know, it's not a competition. It's about welcoming everyone. And as teachers, um, I'm a teacher in life. You always meet people where they are. So if I have to edit someone's music to be a little different than someone else's so they feel comfortable, um, I'll do that. But I'm willing to do whatever it takes so that everybody can be involved. And it just warms my heart because I'm imagining the students I used to teach and hoping that they will continue to play their instruments, even if they don't become a professional musician. Mm. And now I'm seeing these people and I'm like, you know, those are some of my kids. Those are the same type of kids I had that now are growing up and they're coming back. Were there any requirements for being in the band? Just that you had been in marching band before. Okay. Simply because there is an element of being able to march and play at the same time and move your feet and feel comfortable holding your instrument up. And there's just a, a whole bunch of normal processes that I don't have to talk about if you've already been in band. That's a lot harder than people think. Mo moving in time while playing your instrument, right? Yeah, the closest I can get is like what a drum set player does, except that you're also using your wind and air too. So it's fingers, it's your eyes, obviously, it's you're moving the air in your body and thinking about rhythms and all of your notes, trying to move in a block together, but also you have to keep your feet together so that you stay in time with the tempo behind you. It'd be really hard to play in time if your feet aren't in time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, that's taken a little bit of a refresher for some folks, but everybody's been, you know, really trying to get after it, which has been the most fun part about it. Okay, tell me about that atmosphere. What's it been like for folks of different ages and skill levels to be practicing and participating in the band. I tried to establish day one that we're a really welcoming environment and so that everybody was welcome and that we're going to pair people up. So I looked at people's experiences and I tried to first rehearsal break into sectionals. And then I, I looked for those who I thought haven't been on their instruments for a while and I took them privately off so they didn't feel put on one-on-one, -on -one, like, well, put on the spot in front of the ensemble. Mm -hmm. And then I worked with them and, you know, edited some of their music. I tried to uh, make them feel like empowered that they're going to be great at this. And then we slowly brought everybody together. What you just heard was our first rehearsal. So we've come a long way hey. since then. So we're, we're on our way, but everybody's been really excited about it. Now, Pride is known for some pretty wild and colorful out Outfits. What's the band going to be wearing this weekend? Um, I created a T-shirt that is honestly, it's just a black T-shirt, but it has on the front um, the bars you've seen on a traditional marching band that kind of go horizontal down the chest. We have those in an ombre of the rainbow mm. with uh, they're called they're these little loops on the ends and they have a button in the middle. And so it'll look marching band-esque, and then it'll have the Nashville and Harmony logo on the back. So it's T-shirts this year. Um, and, you know, in the future, if we get really bigger, a lot bigger, we could have maybe a sponsorship and get more uh, official uniforms, possibly. I'm just kidding. I'm trying to imagine what the Pride drum majors would be wearing. That's going to be something crazy. I think it I think it will be. <laughs> no, so what songs will you all be playing this weekend? Well, as you heard, we'll be playing Born This Way. Um, I wanted to pick an eclectic group of songs so that everybody from uh, different age groups would enjoy them. So then we're also playing uh, Dancing Queen by ABBA. And okay. then we're also going to play This Is Me from The Greatest Showman. And that's the one that I particularly have been the most excited about because it's a, it already has a snare line as the rhythmic uh, through line for the entire tune. And it just kind of speaks to what Pride is, is about. This is me. You know, I'm being myself. Um, on display wherever I go. How'd you go about the process of choosing which songs to play? I just really wanted to think about what people from different age groups would enjoy and also things that made a statement um, for Pride at the event. So um, Dancing Queen is really just fun. That's just the fun what random one. Born This Way, I think it's obvious. Mm -hmm. And like I said, this is me.
Uh, what, I'm thinking like Donna Summer for next year. <laughs> that would be really cool if we could do that. A little tricky, a little bit more difficult. We'll start bit. rehearsals in January. Okay. Okay. You're going to do this. Now, now tell me, you know, you. what does this mean to you to be leading the group back this year? Uh, it means a lot to me because I um, am a super band nerd, obviously, as a band director. And I really am impassioned about people being able to play their instruments beyond their time in high school. When I was in college, I played for my grandmother when she had dementia. And it was one of the only times she remembered who I was, mm. was when I played my clarinet for her. She suddenly would wake up. And I so I know how powerful music is. Um, I also, for me, marching band is an American tradition. And it, it, it goes way back, all the way to the Revolutionary War times. And a lot of times, for some reason, people can assume that having pride in the LGBTQI plus community is separate from being patriotic or a part of American tradition. But the truth is we've always been here, number one, and that also it's good for people to see a band that's traditionally an American thing playing music that they enjoy going down the street in a parade like any parade would have a marching band. So for me, that's really important. That would, that's what drives me for people to see traditionally American things and people that they may think are non-traditional really are. They're really doing. It's been here the whole time. Jacob Campos is the director of Nashville and Harmony and the Nashville Pride Band. Jacob, thanks for being here and have fun this weekend. I can't wait. Thank you so much. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll explore some of queer musical, some of the queer musical traditions in our city, from bluegrass to club music. Are you headed to Pride this weekend? What are you looking forward to? Tell us about it and tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. For as long as there's been music, there have been queer musicians. Whether or not listeners knew that some of their favorite talents were queer is another question. But the influence across genres is undeniable. And in honor of Pride Weekend, we are exploring the impact of queer musicians and performers here in Nashville. And my next guest has been working to bring light to the overlooked history of queerness in bluegrass and old time music. Justin Hiltner is a bluegrass singer, songwriter and banjo player and sits on the board of Bluegrass Pride. He joins me now from San Francisco. Justin, welcome to This is Nashville. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure to have you here with us. Now, you know, in years past, it was much more difficult for musicians to be out and visible with their sexuality. What comes to mind when you think about some of your forebears in bluegrass music who inspired you? Yeah, I think um, I think a lot of things go through my mind. And one of them is this really strange grief that I think a lot of queer people could relate to of just the understanding that there are so many people in our past who had queer identities that weren't visible to other people and weren't visible to perhaps the people who consumed their music. And so I like to think back and, and think on the people who had queer identities, but weren't ever able to display those in their music or in their art making. 
Um, and it makes me really sad, but it also makes me really proud that the queer resilience that we see across queer folks across generations um, is something that like I'm standing on the shoulders of queer folks um, who went before me, even if I don't know exactly who they were. Um, and it's an interesting conversation to have with folks because they often want stories of specifics. They want names, they want proof. And I want to have the conversation about the murky gray area where people and their identities land um, about how queerness isn't really something that's measurable or quantifiable. Um, but yeah, I think it's really important to note that even though we're seeing the first generation of bluegrass and old time pickers who are out and proud and queer, it doesn't mean we're the first queer folks in this music. It just means that we're the first ones who are visible. Mm -hmm. Now you released your first solo album of your own songs last year. Let's listen to the title track, 1992. That was a good year. Maybe you were one or two floors down, or maybe you were one or two floors up. But on my floor, quietly, in whispers about naming me, bright balloons and flowers in a paper cup. Maybe you had kind and loving care Or maybe they gave judging sighs and stares While safe below or safe above A newborn child was wrapped in love A happy family, joyful, unaware And while your body ached for loving touch mother held me tight against her breast she daydreamed of my future while you never could admit tell me about this song what were you expressing with this story yeah this is another story about grief this is really about survivor's guilt um, and really about the fact that folks in my generation and I was born in 1992 we tend to think of ourselves as being um, as living after the HIV AIDS crisis, but really we were born into it. And I had this moment of realization that almost certainly there was someone dying of AIDS in the same hospital that I was born into. And it felt like this, this enormous injustice and, and that if I had just been born 10 or 15 years earlier, I could have been that person. Um, and I think that it was especially important for me to have this conversation in a bluegrass space and talk about these things in a bluegrass space where we have historical figures in our music who um, perhaps died of HIV AIDS, um, but their friends and family and the people who made music with them don't know that that's true of them. And so I, I had this conversation with myself about how the HIV AIDS epidemic, especially in the Southeastern US, rages on, especially in parts of the world that don't have access to the medical care that we do here in the West, quote unquote West. And I wanted to talk about these things in a context that we rarely talk about them. And I wanted to, from my generational perspective of grieving for these people that we lost, we lost thousands and thousands of souls to HIV and AIDS. And now living through another pandemic, it seems like we haven't really learned those lessons. And so that's really what that song is about. It's um, 
I don't know, it's a heavy song. Every time I play it, um, I feel the emotion like it was the first day I wrote it. And there are a lot of tears, especially from queer folks, especially from lesbian folks who, you know, folks who lived through that crisis and friends and family, chosen family passed away. It's a really special song and it's it's mm. something I don't take it lightly anytime I play it. Mm. I'd like to welcome my next guest, DJ Jane Dupree. is a longtime Nashville DJ who's rocking the decks at Pride this weekend. Jane, thanks for being here. Welcome to This Is Nashville. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. Honor to have you. So tell me, how'd you get into DJing? Well, how I got into DJing, I actually moved to Nashville, what Middle Tennessee to play guitar. I was in a, actually a, a Christian rock band. Mm-hmm. And um, I found my way into a nightclub called The uh, Connections. Um, I've always, you know, growing up, listened to dance music as a, a teenager, you know, from MTV. I didn't know exactly what it was. I was, uh, I'm from the country. Like, I literally grew up in the middle of a cotton field. But my experience at that club, when I heard the music loud, I was just mesmerized. I was, you know, like, oh, my God, I have to do this. What is this? And I began to dig and search for the music. My That was the summer after my first year at college. Um, my first boyfriend or male friend, associate, uh, was a DJ, and he was on the label. And, you know, at the time, I was not interested. I was like, oh, you just, you're a DJ for the rapper, whatever. Hmm. But when uh, school started back the following semester, I asked him to show me how to work it. And uh, he showed me, you know, what to do. And I started taking um, a bowling class that, that semester as well. And I met a classmate uh, by the name Shane Martin. Some people know him as uh, Pimp Daddy Supreme. And he hosted a morning radio show on 88.3 WMTS Murfreesboro. And he, you know, introduced me to the radio station. And so that following semester, I applied to intern to get a show. How you got a radio show with them is you had to intern for a semester, and then you would get approved to have a show the following semester. Mm-hmm. Well, I got my radio show pretty much immediately after I completed my uh, three weeks of internship. And so I started mixing live on air. They had a pair of Technic 1200s mm-hmm. and a, a Radio Shack mixer. You know, it didn't even have the, um, it had the, the phono line switch. Yeah. You know, so it was like one of those two-channel mixers. And uh, I, I started mixing live on air, and I started hanging out with people that I saw from the club, other DJs and other parties, and I would invite them to the show to... Uh, to, to help to come spin, but also to learn from them. And so that's how I got into DJing. Okay, so Pimp Daddy Supreme put you on. I just wanted to say that name again because that's something you don't hear often oh. on public radio. But, you know, you're <laughs> cutting your chops on the radio while you're attending MTSU. What's that experience like that helped you build your skills? I mean, you're live, but you're learning at the same time. I will tell you the honest truth. You know the three-second delay Yes. That was my friend. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so if it got too bad, you know, I was just like, I'd cut it out. And, um, but you know, it was, it was really fun because sometimes they would have the baseball game and if there was a rain delay, you know, then they would just switch it over to automation and I would go up to the station. I'd go check out the keys and I'd go bring my records. I used to keep records in the car, bring my two, three crates up there. And I would mix for hours, and um, 
I remember having a friend, Ben Bray, and uh, we had like, you know, a six, seven hour show. We just keep going on. Wow. Sometimes I go at two or three o'clock in the morning and mix, um, as well as other people that were involved with the station. But, you know, it was, I feel very fortunate to be able to have access to the tools, even though I didn't actually have them, um, huh. and have people that were willing to to talk to me. They, they didn't know me. Um, you know, I was just some random person, like, that they met at a party that was just probably getting on their nerves about asking about records and wanting to play. Hey, but and they, they hooked you up. They did. And, and you um, got the knowledge. Talk to me about the queer influence on club music. Well, the, the queer influence on club music is where it comes from. The uh, the gay bars where hard black disco originated from to become house music. The disco bars you know, that had multiple you know genres of people black, white, queer, straight, you know, those were, uh, you know, huge influences on opening the, the pathway for people to be who we are and to be where we are. Mm-hmm. I do believe that, you know, the queer music and the queer influence opens the door for, you know, for political gain and acceptance, you know, so I feel that's very important uh, for the community, the uh, the music aspect of it, I don't personally. I don't feel that it, we would be where we are musically without the uh, the queer influence, without the the freedom. Uh, that's that's what I I get from it. Not to say that other music genres don't have freedom, but I feel like there's a different type of freedom that is had when you're in that space because everyone that was there, like. I'm speaking, you know, before current time, mm-hmm. because people went to the, the queer bars as a safe haven. You know, they may have came from a small town or wherever they are. They didn't necessarily feel comfortable being their true selves, you know, in their every, you know, daytime life. But they would come to these places to be free around other people that identified similar to them, even if the identification wasn't directly the same but they had, a, you know, a common ground to be themselves and to to put that energy into a creative outlet. You know, that, you know, that just is something magical about that. Mm. And you can expect magic to come from that. Now, so, you recently collaborated with D. Stephen Jackson on a track called Sunshine. Let's listen to a little bit of that. So tonight. That's a banger right there. You played that this weekend. They're going to have the whole place, the whole party rocking. Now, you know, I understand you produced this track. How did you get to express your creativity when 
producing a song like this? Typically, when I make my music, um, I'll go through and listen to the different sounds and samples, but then I will just hear melodies and I just create the melodies that I hear. And, you know, I, more recently I've started writing actual top lines to my songs and I will just play the track after I produce it and I just sing straight off the top of my dome and record it. But my inspiration just comes from how I feel. You know, I just let it out onto the computer. Uh, since I am a, a traditionally trained musician, but I also use uh, virtual instruments to create my music. I use uh, Ableton uh, primarily to make my music. You know, so that's, I just let it all out, all the emo emotions that I feel, uh, whether it's angry, sad, or excited, I just let the music flow through me. And uh, my inspiration comes from my day-to-day -day life. Now, if you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Ekelona. We're talking this hour about the impact of queer musicians with DJ Jane Dupree and Justin Hiltner. Tweet us your comments at This Is Nashville. Now, Justin, you are making bluegrass music in a space that hasn't always been welcomed openly to openly queer performers. What does that mean for you? Um, <clears throat> it's interesting how it how it manifests itself because some days it feels like, oh, I've been routinely excluded from this community or I don't have the same pathways to success as others. Or some days it feels very overt, but most days it, it feels very, um, I don't know, a very abstract, like is the reason why I haven't reached this marker in my career or haven't done this or haven't done that. Like, is it because of my identity? Is it because I'm queer? Is it because they can tell when I speak that I'm gay? Like, it's this kind of insidious doubting of yourself um, that kind of creeps in when you realize first subconsciously before you ever perceive it consciously that, oh, I might not be welcome here. And I started playing banjo when I was seven. So I shouldn't have ever had doubts about like my ability or my claim to bluegrass as something that I could be a part of and like contribute to. But because of my queerness, I always kind of doubted my um, ownership of this music. And I think that that's something that's a really important thing for me to try and help unpack for folks is like, if we think that this music, it's kind of touted as a community music, uh, one where you get this kind of family that comes along with the music. If we're going to tout that and hold that up as something that we love about this genre, we need to make that true for everybody who likes um, string band music, whether that's old time or country or bluegrass. Mm. Now, now, Jane, you, you've seen Nashville Pride grow a lot over the years. Tell me what's impressed you the most about the increased popularity of Pride in our city. I will say the biggest, um, what has impressed me the most is that it has been on, that the parade is on Broadway, the parade was at Public Square, and that we have the, per, I'm sorry, that the festival's presence has been smack dead in the middle of the city on Front Street of Nashville, Tennessee. My first experience with Nashville Pride was at Centennial Park back in maybe 2006 or 2007. Uh, that was my first time that I performed with uh, the festival. And as a vendor, I remember, I believe I paid like, like a really small fee and it was you know 
six-foot tables sitting around a park of maybe, I don't know, maybe 2,000 people. And today, you know, I can honestly say there will probably be close to maybe 40,000 people this weekend, mm-hmm. um, between 25 and 40,000 people. That's a massive growth. You know, that's impressive. That's impressive being in Nashville, Tennessee, in the Bible Belt in the South, um, in a conservative state where people don't want your your views or you as a person and who you are to be seen. You know, that's impressive that, you know, you can't mask real people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely grown a lot. Now, Justin, you helped create Bluegrass Pride and other showcases for artists to perform. Briefly tell me, what do you want to provide for the artists who play at those events? Yeah, I think my like number one goal in creating community and holding space in bluegrass is to just keep give people permission to just be to just be themselves um, it's a music that um, is really accessible but it can feel really exclusive and so i want to reinforce people's love of roots music of bluegrass and old time music through positivity instead of shame instead of being like oh well you you like uh, mumford and sons but that's not real bluegrass like this is real bluegrass over here i want people to know that like they can just be who they are and they can come into these spaces that we hold, whether it's with Bluegrass Pride or these other events that I've helped produce or create, um, that they can just be who they are and love this music and come into it unencumbered by the burdens we all carry around. Like, are people judging me? Are people looking down their nose at me? Am I good enough to be here? I want that to fade away and the music to be what matters most. Justin Hiltner is a bluegrass banjo player and creator of Bluegrass Pride. He was joined by DJ Jane Dupree, local DJ and producer, who will be playing at the Equality Main Stage at Pride this weekend. Thanks to you both for being with us. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for having me. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll learn about a record label that is giving queer artists from multiple genres a chance to shine. Who are some of your favorite queer musicians in town? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil Colonna, and this is Nashville. For any musician and performer, having the backing of a record label can make all the difference for their careers. Record labels offer support and resources that many musicians have challenges acquiring. This has been especially true for queer and trans artists. But a new indie imprint, Kill Rockstars Nashville, or KRS, is changing that and giving queer and trans musicians an opportunity to make a name for themselves in the Roots music scene. My next guest is the founder of KRS, Slim Moon. Welcome to This Is Nashville. Howdy. Howdy yourself. It's good to have you here with us on a Friday. So, you know, what was Kill Rockstars like in its early days? What kind of music were you releasing? So we started in 91, 32 years ago, and we were releasing really punk rock, mostly punk rock records. What was the vibe? Uh, Loud, angry, layered, a little bit brainy for like it was smart punk rock, but um, and then a lot of the we there was a 
social political movement called Riot Girl, and we did document and put out records by many of the bands involved in that movement in the early 90s. Who were some of the legendary bands with that? Bratmobile, Bikini Kill, Heavens to Betsy, okay. XQ17, uh, Slayer Kitty. Okay. Okay, now you are now working with Roots and Americana artists. That's a far cry from the DIY indie scene that you just described. Where did your interest from Americana come from? Well, honestly, my interest in Americana preceded my interest in punk rock because I grew up in Montana and really grew up listening to country radio. Uh, so it started with with the ra country radio of the 70s, and my my... Dad listened to a lot of Bob Dylan and a lot of Nitty Gritty Dirt Band and other country rock and rock country of the 70s. So I've always liked smart singer-songwriters with a rootsy edge, but my understanding of that um, world, you know, has evolved over time. So tell me this. As you started to fill out the roster for KRS Nashville, mm -hmm. what were some of the traits that you were looking for in the people you signed? Did you want them to have a little bit of, of that rebelliousness from the— 91 era? Yeah, that's very insightful of you to notice. Uh, definitely. I mean, you know, being a queer artist, there's always some some rebelliousness, I think. But also, um, I really want, I really am attracted to really smart. If it's, if, I, I think Roots music needs to be really smart lyricists. So, uh, you know, smart, sassy, cynical, rebellious, <laughs> revolutionary lyricists for sure. Why do you want them to be so smart? Well, I just think that's what makes that music great. Uh, mm. I mean, no, I, I, I'm sorry. Um, there's this great juxtaposition that began it began being documented in the '60s, but was there before of a, of traditional music that comes from com, from community and history being mixed with the individualism, like the American individualism of each individual writer's. World, unique worldview, and so when you combine that tradition, those traditional root sounds with the unique worldview of the individual artist who's writing, this this magic can happen. Mm -hmm. Now, my next guests are two artists who are a part of the KRS Nashville roster: singer songwriter Sydney Bullens and Mia Byrne. Thank you both for being here. Welcome to the show. Thanks for Hi. having us. So, I like for both so, of you, you really quick talk to me about this. What does it feel like to be signed? With KRS, Sydney. Awesome, uh, really awesome. Um, as a transgender musician now, and of course, I had a career for forty years as Cindy Bullens, as uh, you know, was nominated for Grammys in the seventies, and and uh, went on up through um, to to the to till I transitioned in in two thousand eleven. I had a career as as a woman. And then I hid away and um, uh, created an album of songs uh, as Sydney. And so to have KRS as uh, come to me and say, hey, we <laughs> listen, to be thought of as a smart person is really is really <laughs> nice. <laughs> and uh, uh, but, uh, you know, trans musicians and Mia can speak to this as well. Um, uh, you know, it's not like people are knocking down our doors. So to have a vehicle, and uh, of course, KRS is more than a vehicle. It's a, it's a, it's uh, in my view, it's more of a cultural uh, avenue. You know, uh, a, a community. I want to say KRS is more of a community now 
to uh, bring us in who may not have another avenue to 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 make music because the music business is still the music business. Mm -hmm. The bottom line for almost all of the music business is money. Mm -hmm. What's going to bring me money? Yeah, yeah. Who's going to make me money? So this is a, an opportunity, I think, for us to to express ourselves and have uh, the backing of emotional and physical backing of a wonderful record company. Mia, what's the experience been like for you? Well, um, it's been fantastic. First of all, Slim is just such a lovely person, and we've become such good friends. And that, to me, I've said this before many times, is that I don't do business with people that I wouldn't invite to my house for dinner. And... Um, it really feels like family, which is very important to me. Everybody's very accessible. It doesn't feel like I'm dealing with a major corporation. And when we were shopping for labels, there was interest from a bunch of uh, different places. But it was sort of like the thing that sold me on the label was the, the fact that it's so eclectic. And while my music really lies firmly in the roots thing... Somebody like Slim, who has not only a knowledge of how all of these different genres, I hate genres, by the way, mm. but how all these different movements in music intersect. I mean, country music is punk music and vice versa. I, I firmly believe that. And to have someone understand this particular intersection and also to really see how my career was being affected by... Um, discrimination within the industry and to say, I've got your back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And somebody I can text it to in the morning and be like, I have a feeling. Can I talk to you about it? <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I'm sure that feels yeah. really, really great. Now, you played yeah. at the Love Rising Benefit Show in Bridgestone Arena a few months yeah. ago. You decided to do a song from your album called Don't It Don't Fade. Let's hear it. Yeah. I've been thinking about lifelines. I've been thinking about friends of mine. I've been thinking about sunshine beating down Reminiscing on the old days Adjusting to the new ways Thinking about the heartaches coming around I've been thinking about the lion I've been thinking about dying And redemption You know, there's some really big ideas in that song and it really like this deliberate sense of optimism. Briefly, tell me, what are you expressing about your worldview with that song? There's so much in that in that particular song. It's I mean, and I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. Hmm. Uh, I wrote that during lockdown where I, we didn't know what was going to happen. And I was given a picture, uh, an Edward Hopper painting of a girl sitting in a sewing machine. And I started thinking about my family who are all uh, immigrants and many of them worked doing tailoring and, and stuff like that. And just the space that they created the abundance that they created from the immigrant experience and how that ties into the queer experience. And then for me, I see myself walking down my old street in Berkeley, California, where I was stuck during lockdown. And also this, this expression of like, okay, I had just had a conversation 
with Aaron Lee Tastin, who produced the record, about how this this sort of grand sense of acceptance, where uh, we didn't know if we were going to have careers, uh, we didn't we didn't know that we could still go back on the road. And Aaron had said to me, you know, if in fact we never get to go on the road again, well, at least we had this time, and so. I don't know. I, I'm not really a silver linings person more as I am a I'm always looking forward person. And it's it's such it was such a hard time. And I just needed to find joy in that in that moment. Mm-hmm. Well, that joy is still giving you goosebumps. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, Sid, in recent years, you've gotten more and more into telling your story in your songwriting. That includes your song Walking Through This World, which you'll be re-releasing through KRS Nashville. Let's take a listen. Some may walk on the wild side Of course you can walk like a man I'm walking through this world As exactly who I am can't see me now and you couldn't see me then but I'll keep walking through this world as exactly who I am briefly tell me what's your message in that song what's that what's the message like what the, are you the saying message? in that song yeah. well it, it uh, first of all the line you can't see me now and you couldn't see me then, mm-hmm. I think is uh, people sometimes ask me, well, what does that mean? Well, it means as a trans person, you couldn't tell when I was Cindy what I was feeling inside that I felt like a man in a woman's body. And now people just think I'm an old white guy, you know, <laughs> and <laughs> they can't see all my history and all of who I am and all of who I was as Cindy. I'm a mother still. I'm, you know, a grandmother, mm-hmm. you know, I have grandkids. And uh, so that's kind of that. But it it is, I, I can't help it, I guess, you know, that, uh, and I think a lot of us feel this way and uh, I can't help being who I am. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm going to be on this earth and remain on this earth, I want to be all of who I am. And I'm going to be walking out there and, uh, you know, um, and showing what I've got. But but so it's kind of that I'm invisible on one hand and on the other hand. You better see me coming. It's, that's right. <laughs> Thank you. There you go. Now, now we only have just a yeah. minute left. Slim, you know, you're taking this equitable approach with KRS Nashville that a lot of record labels sometimes don't. Really quick, we have a minute left. Why is it important to treat your artists fairly? Oh, because that just seems like the right thing to do. I mean, that's what we started for the whole 32 years of the history. Treating artists fairly has always been a priority. I mean, it's, it's what even gives us our business advantage because it's how we attract artists who have the who are smart enough to not go somewhere where they're going to be treated badly mm-hmm. but it's also just the right way to live mm-hmm. um and then you know i we may we do we do become a community and i can't possibly have these 
people be friends and family and be ripping them off yeah. at the mm. same time. I hear you that. Know? That's the way to go. I want to thank all of my guests, <clears throat> Mia Byrne, Sydney Bullens. There are two artists who are on the kill, Rockstars Nashville. Slim Moon is the label's founder. Thank you all for being here today. And it's Friday, so you know what that means. Time for me to hop out the studio and hop into the car with a fellow Middle Tennessean. We're going to highlight a fantastic musician. Her name is Alex Barnes, a former Division I softball player who moved here five years ago to be a singer-songwriter. She's as easygoing as they come and full of talent. And how do I know this? That's because she's my neighbor. So we got off my porch and hopped in the car. Buckle up. So let's talk about your music a little bit. Like, what are your songs about? A lot about love. <laughs> uh, My first single's coming out on August 1st. So I'm really excited about that. Congrats. Thank you. Uh, and it's a traditional country tune about fighting with your lover. What is it about love? Maybe it's because it's like something that's hard to put words to. Each relationship is different. And I think also like, being a queer artist, there is something to that experience that isn't represented in a lot of music. And so like that perspective is important and sharing that is important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've just always been a person that's kind of been obsessed with the microscopic in life. Like I always liked um, just like doing things methodically and slowly and kind of picking through all of the little parts. What what time of day do you really like to get down where, where you really feel like the creative juices are truly, truly flowing? Between like 8 and 2 a.m., I think I've noticed Yeah. Um, something that like really grabs me all like be getting ready for bed and then like sit down and play the guitar and then. Uh, I heard like you, you look up and it's like 1.30. <laughs> hey, I heard you the other night. It was like 12.30. I had oh, gone yeah. to bed. And you got to it, and I loved it because you're amazing. I had no complaints. I was like, she's getting to it. That's awesome. And look, I've seen you perform several times. Granted, I'm not very well versed in country music singer-songwriters, and I haven't been to a lot of performances. I have never seen people swoon over someone the way they swoon over you. Women and men alike are like, damn. Oh gosh! Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's just—it's just something about it. What's the song? You know, my favorite song. What's it? Oh, uh, do for a heartbreak. Do for a heartbreak. Anyway. me about that song and um, how it came to be. I wrote that with my friend Allie Dunn and my other friend TJ Simpson, both of whom are fabulous songwriters. Yeah, I was falling in love with someone. Um, 
and just really recognizing how exciting that is, but also like how terrifying that is. Have you found any challenges to being a queer singer-songwriter here in town? Yes, I moved here and was going to pursue mainstream like country music songwriting and I found myself sort of trying to write songs where it was implicit or not really hit on the nose or like trying to make it more universal so you didn't know who the person you're singing about like what their gender was. I think also in the spaces that you're like playing to right like if you're playing a songwriter around on like Demunbrian, for instance, yeah. uh, like either like Tin Roof or Doghouse or one of those places. Um, not only is it very straight, it is very male, but starting to notice some changes in that, I think there are like queer friendly spaces in Nashville to go play your music. Events like Rainbow on Tuesday nights at the Lipstick Lounge, which is a queer songwriter night. My friend Sarah Gashan also runs this event called Queer Fest getting in spaces like that um, mm. has been really wonderful. Also just like seeing the community that like has come up around it and like I've become a fan of a lot of queer artists in town because I've been going to those events and seeing other performers and songwriters and it's really wonderful. Boots on the porch right where they belong Walking on eggshells ever since we got home. You've held your tongue. I've laid down my pride. As we're both just waiting for daggers to fly. Riding Shotgun is supported by Xander Insurance. Thank you for tuning in this hour. This is Nashville as a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Today's episode was produced by Magnolia McKay and Julie Height. Our senior producer is Steve Harouche. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tutto. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at this. This is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Ekelona. We'll see you Monday, everybody, and be good to each other. <laughs>